I'm Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform, and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi there and welcome to Creative Matters. This is episode 37. Thank you very much for joining me. Today I'm talking to Philippa Bentley. Philippa is a multidisciplinary artist inspired by nature with ecology and environmental concerns at the heart of her work. While primarily known as a painter and printmaker, Philippa incorporates a range of media and processes in her art practice, including drawing, sculpture and augmented reality. She is interested in the intersection of art, design, science and technology and the possibility all of this brings. We are an island nation, explains Philippa. New Zealand begins with the sea and ends with the sea, and we all have a relationship with the water. Listen to the sea. It has something to say to you. It is not surprising that Philippa's work is so connected to and informed by the sea and reflects her careful observation and love of the natural world, overlaid with a layer of contemplation. You can see images and videos of her varied and incredibly fascinating practice on our blog at creativematters.co.nz and also on Philippa's website, philippabentley.com. Hello, Philippa. Hi, Mandy. Lovely to see you. Oh, it's lovely to be out here. Yeah, it's so good. And we have been trying for what feels like a year <laughs> yes. to get you out here, but it probably hasn't been quite that long, but certainly quite a few months. Mm-hmm. We've had many... Um, you know, reschedules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we're here, which is great, and it's so lovely to meet you. And um, yeah, I really can't wait to hear all about your varied practice. Thank you. So um, yeah, welcome mm. to Creative Matters. So uh, we'll get started as we always do, right at the beginning. Can you tell us about where you were born and your childhood, please? Um, I'm an Aucklander, so I was um, brought up in Meadowbank with my family. Mum, dad and four children. I'm the youngest of four. Um, dad was a doctor, a physician and mum a teacher Then became a counsellor. And um, yeah, it was a very busy household. We had sort of like a menagerie of animals and mum was amazing. You know, the kids from the neighbourhood would always be there, that sort of thing. And um, um, I, she said as, when I was older, sort of being the youngest, I was often, um, it was sort of be like, where's Phil? And I'd be in a corner, it was quite happily sort of reading a book or with my pastel set out or out in the garden, um, just finding a quiet spot. And the garden was really important to me. It's sort of my childhood memories are often featured out there, outside. And mm. in the bush, we had a section or quite a lot of places around there in Meadowbank, Remuera. They have sort of like a... They, run down to a creek, the bush that runs then into Oraki Basin. So that was just fantastic as a child. I loved mm, it. So mm. beautiful and so many memories. And I guess that was interspersed with um, quite a lot of time in hospital though. I had um, first an accident and then a bone disease through my primary school years. So um, I think in ways that was formative too. You don't, you don't take anything for granted. You see. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. It gives you a new lesson on life, how to live life, doesn't yes. it? Yes, and maybe an imaginative world too. At times, yeah, yeah. So you'd kind of take yourself away mm. and, and have that moment to yourself. Mm. And so, as a child, were you um, actually sort of thinking creatively and, and making creatively? Do you think? Yes, <clears throat> yes, definitely. I I was always making. Um, it was quite an a- academic household. My father was a university prof- professor, so um, but the arts were always valued, and just for me, I think it was a very strong imaginative world. So when we were out in the garden, like the apple trees were my horses. <laughs> my sister and I were um, laughing only about a week ago about, um, I was anchored off Waiheke and sent her a photo. Of, we used to stay in a little batch at Rocky Bay and she reminded me of Sammy the Seal, which was a log and um, a holiday that I had Sammy the Seal and um, it became so real that the sort of the sisters were sort of arguing over who got to play with in the float with Sammy and we were distraught when we left this log behind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And um, I think 
I've realized now that it does inform my work later on because I, I love detail and I, I would be someone who would spend hours in the bush damming the creek and building little houses and that sort of thing and the tree roots and looking at leaves or the holes in the kawakawa, that sort of thing. It's just that sense of detail and wonder. Um, I've never lost and I don't want to. <laughs> no, no. Mm. And that it <clears throat> totally does inform your practice. I mean, you can see that mm. from your work. Mm. Yeah. And um, were you actually, you know, apart from sort of responding to nature and, and creating in that way, were you, you know, drawing or painting or doing anything like that? Yes, yep, definitely. I, I, I love pastels. I've still got quite a lot of my drawings that was always in pastel. And I, I loved drawing. I liked making things like dried flower arrangements. And I liked writing. I wrote several little books. <laughs> um, and I think at that stage, my role model was probably my grandmother, um, who was a painter. And she was also a music teacher and a musician and played the organ at the, the church, that sort of thing. And I loved going to her house and seeing she had like real paintings because they were oil paintings and they were framed and they were on the wall. <laughs> but I was always encouraged. Um, yeah, even though I never took later on, I never taught art at school. Um, I didn't probably see it as a career option. But I loved it and I was always encouraged. I'd go to Society of Arts after school classes and that sort of thing. Mm. So it was mm. it was in the blood. Absolutely. Right yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um I mean, Dad it, and I went to pottery classes when I think about it for a couple of years together, you know, after school evening classes and that sort of thing. I was always making there was always some sort of area that I was doing all the way through. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And your parents I mean, were they actually creatives themselves around the jobs they had? No. No, they weren't, and they would always say that. It was sort of like it's jumped a generation. <laughs> but the arts were valued. Like there was, you know, they supported the ballet and, and the orchestra, and there was always music in the house. And mum, you know, loved literature, and I was sort of – my first degree was in literature. I loved writing. Um, so yeah, the arts were very part of our household. Mm, mm. Yeah. And through high school, you said you didn't take art, no. which is really interesting. Same mm. as me. Mm. Yeah. So what happened there? I was fairly academic. And um, like I say, it was just, it was almost more that it was going to be something that was an interest. And I knew that. And I think my parents knew that, but probably guided me into something that was more um, practical, like a real job. Um for security and also it was very much a household about the community being involved in the community, giving back to the community. Um, yeah, so I just didn't see it as something that I would train for vocationally. Um, mm. Almost that sounds the wrong. That's the wrong word, but yeah, um, I, know I, I went off into a different sort of area. And after high school, went to Auckland University, and I think by that stage, I even felt a tension through my twenties of. Do I follow the arts or am I going to be more um, in, a, in a different sort of role? So my first degree was in English literature. But then after a couple of years traveling overseas, I came back and I I went to teacher's college and did education and psychology at university to be an educational psychologist. Um, but then once I was teaching, you have to teach for a few years to do the educational psychology Um I did like an art major at Teachers College and I did all the art teaching at school and I just kept on gravitating towards mm. that. It was actually my love and my passion. And then it was some time, some years out. Um, I got very sick teaching one year, that's right, and I stopped and tutored pupils one-to-one um, and then had time out as a full-time mum. And it was then when I was coming back into the workforce, I was thinking, no, I'm going to do what I really want to do. I've got to give this a try now. Um, and I didn't want to go back into educational psychology um, and teaching. I thought, no, I'm going to give this a go. And it was also partly triggered by my mother dying. She was sort of a huge part of my life, mm. and it was, yeah, I think I was thrown for a couple of years. It was huge for me. Um, and that sense of, gosh, people die. You know, I, that fragility of life, if I want to do this, if I see this as actually who I am, I've got to do it, and I've got to do it now. So it gave me the impetus and that sort of courage to jump off that cliff. <laughs> yeah. Because my marriage was just splitting up at the same time. Um, so it felt like, you know, this is me starting out again. Mm. I've got to do this now. And also a practical solution in ways, even though it seemed scary, because 
um, my former husband, the kid's father, went to live in a different city. So all that child rearing was up to me. I'm not saying he abandoned us. He didn't by any means. He loves his boys, that sort of thing. is still um, very much so. But that day-to-day rearing of the kids was up to me. So mm. I wanted to be at home, have that flexibility, working for myself. So it all came together and wow. I thought, no, I've got to do this. How and, amazing. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, a tragedy or something negative mm. can actually mm. give you that, like you say, that impetus to seize the day. Yeah. Redirection. I yeah. Think. Which mm. can be a really positive thing. Well, it has been. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. So you mm. decided, right, I'm going to be a full-time artist. I did. I had, um, while I was a full-time mum, I had been exhibiting some pieces and then started working part-time in galleries. And so I did that to start off with sort of thing, mm. um, which was like a safety net. But it was when I was suddenly on my own with the two boys, I thought, no, I'm going to do this full-time and I'm going to throw myself into it and see if I can make it work. Wow. Um, and how old were the boys at that time? They would both have been... Um, around primary school, early primary school. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's actually quite a big brave move, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, how did you start? I mean, what you know? It's great advice for people wanting to do this. You know, how did you actually get it I going? I think I'd had a, a couple of things that helped me gain some confidence, which was um, I had a a. a a studio out at the depot in Devonport, which was lovely because it's a community of artists there, which I really needed. Um, it sort of, I think, validated that choice in a way. Mm. Um, and there was the Devonport Arts Festival at the time, and I put in a painting. It was like the second painting I'd done in this at this time point in my life, and it won the the paint award, and that just gave me a little boost. And so then I tried putting out a few different paintings to galleries, and they were accepted. So it's almost like one step after the other, and it grew. And that mm. gave me the confidence to go, this has been lovely working part-time and um, creating, working as a professional artist part-time. But it's very hard to get traction, I think, um, unless you're doing it full-time. Even if it's in patches, I think a lot of my friends and I have, you know, we've had some years where you work full-time as an artist and then there might be a part where you have to work in, in paid employment, either full-time or part-time. But then... It is, a, yeah, I think it's really important to have mm. those times where you, you just need, throw yourself yeah. into it and focus on it. And you need the time to develop your practice, you do. don't you? Absolutely. And I um, I went at that point to a summer school with Tracy Williams. I just loved her printmaking. I just adored it. And then I saw she had a summer school at Elam. She was the printmaking lecturer there. So I went to that and learned photographic salt screen with her. And that was, I, during those, it was just like a four-day course I learned so much and I loved it, fell in love with printmaking and did my first version of my Monarch Butterfly, which led on to my whole insect collections. Um, and so it was sort of, yeah, I guess one thing led to another. Mm. And it mm. is actually, you know, amazing in a way that at the beginning of that full-time career as an artist, you did have enough strength or belief in yourself to go to a gallery with, with work. I mean, a lot of artists, myself included, is a little bit scared of going, going down the gallery way just because, I don't know, you know, some people are not sure if that's what they should be doing or if they'd be taken seriously. So how did you actually manage to get there? Maybe, as you said, it was out of just sort of, you know, pretty dramatic changes in my life <laughs> gave me that courage to do it because actually that's one thing I'd say to you know perhaps emerging artists is you have to be brave I think there are a lot of yeah you have to have quite a lot of courage to be an artist you're constantly putting yourself out there every time you create an artwork you're putting something of yourself out there mm. and you simply if you want to do it you just have to do it yeah there isn't an option you just have mm. to do it if you want to try and make this work you have to do it so I just thought right get on and do it got to do it yep yeah and how did you choose which galleries you were going to approach um initially with I was doing some big botanical paintings and I went to Flagstaff Gallery in Devonport which was then run by Kath Jenkins and Jess Peerless was manager and Kath was just finishing up actually and Jess took me on and she simply seemed, seemed to see you know what she wanted in the work and I felt very um yeah very grateful for that mm. and then I worked with my insect collections at several small sort of exhibitions and then approached the Lane Gallery and that was fantastic for me I had a solo show there and it was it really sort of launched launched my work I think or launched me as an artist it was a solo show it was a sellout and it, it did really well mm, so that's um, brilliant. Neil and Graham at the Lane Gallery were very 
yeah, important in mm. <laughs> in my story. Yeah. And then um, Paul Kayser had set up Clever Bastards, which was an online art and design gallery, which was very new at that time. These things sort of sound a little bit um, sort of ordinary now, but it was quite different then and exciting. And he had a specific focus on upcycling um, and recycling, which again sounds normal, but it was these were new words then. Um, and I was uh, creating my insects onto weatherboards. And they just fitted really well with Clever Bastards. So I was taken on with that. And again, that just raised profile enormously mm. and helped me. And I've been working with that body of work for sort of 10, 15 years. And they still sell, which I'm really proud of. I mm. you know, really like that. Yeah, you should be. Wow, that's really quite an inspirational story of how you just kind of made it happen. <laughs> Hasn't all been easy, you know, no. and, and there are ups and downs with it, you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. When you look at it over time. <laughs> yeah, looking back. <laughs> yeah, looking back. <laughs> I mean, and it worked, you know, you got to mm. the position you wanted to get to in the end, you know, so that's great. And um, so, you know, obviously your practice is pretty um, varied and has lots of different sort of aspects to it. Um, you're an interdisciplinary artist and within your practice, you know, you explore sort of printmaking and painting and sculpture mm -hmm. and all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it's exciting for me because we've got lots to talk about. There's very many different elements to your practice that I'd like to touch on. But um, would you like to perhaps just firstly describe your practice as a whole and sort of what inspires you and, and what kind of gets you going and, and what, how you kind of take all these different directions? Yes, I tend to work thematically. Um, but really, I'm inspired by nature, or that's the sort of the language that I use to convey what I want to. Um, it, I'm sort of, at the moment, mostly focused on environmental issues and ecology, like our changing relationship with nature. And um, I think each series or body of work I've done has been inspired by what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing happening in the world, and responding to that. Mm. And it's, I mean, you, you obviously, you know, looking back at when you were a child, you were so interested in, in detail and, and the little things and your sort of immediate focus. Um, do you think that comes through now in your work? Well, it's funny. Uh, one of the people who represent me, uh, an art dealer, just said to me a couple of weeks ago when I took in some new work, and I almost apologised, kind of like, oh, yes, sorry, it's a new series. <laughs> I don't, almost, you know, is this okay? And she said, yes, but it's very you, Philippa, because, um, Really, there's a small focus, a detailed work within um, a bigger negative ground, um, open, free, sort of negative ground. I thought, gosh, that is what I do. And when I think back, the various different series that I've worked on, and it's almost like that girl back looking at the the detail of the butterfly wings or something, um, the part that represents the whole. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, which mm. is such a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it has, it's definitely, there's definitely quite a strong thread I see mm. all the way through your practice. Mm, well, that's good. Yeah, which <laughs> that's is good lovely. To know. <laughs> yeah, it's always reassuring, isn't it? I think it's often conceptually driven, like there's, there's something I'm trying to communicate through it. Um, but it comes through obliquely. I don't want to sort of, yeah. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> which is good. Mm. Yeah, and it's probably only when you look at all your work that you you can make those connections, mm. possibly. Mm. Um, yeah, and so, you know, there's so many different parts that I'd like to talk about. Can we please start with the paper Cs and mm. the C charts? Mm -hmm. um, so if you just describe that um, and then, yeah, talk about how you bring that all together. I just think C charts and maps are beautiful objects in themselves. There's so much to them, um, visually and um the background of creating them, all that sort of thing. I, I just I just love them. I always have. And the sense of archive and artifact that it's created in a certain time and space and that speaks of the culture in that time. And then there's the sense of place, the Turanga Waiwai, the sense of belonging. Um, so, I've, yeah, I've, I've sort of met them probably primarily starting sailing I've, I've, um, and just – there's so much scope with maps and charts. I can see I've got a long, a long, long way to go. Mm. Um, my first works on them a couple, a few years ago were to do with Hixunt Draconis, which is, is the Latin for hairy dragons. And in the 1600s, uh, where explorers were still mapping, charting coastlines, 
um, or areas, if it hadn't been explored, they might um, draw a little sea dragon or a three-headed monster or something, and that would just be to signify the unknown, the great vast scary unknown. Wow. Here be dragons. I love that. Um, and at that point in time, I just felt completely bombarded by um, – Terrible news about the climate, biodiversity decline, pollinator decline, acidifying oceans, sea level rise. And um, this is that's how it came out in my work of the not knowing what's going to happen in the future, the Hicks on Draconis. And so that sort of allowed me to go imaginatively into what might come, what there might be, what were my own Draconis. And I refused to make it a, a negative apocalyptic sort of vision. So they're quite beautiful. <laughs> mm, <very laughs> and I've got so. a little AR um, augmented reality creature, my dollfish, which has become my signature on that series. And again, it's just to sort of signify the unknown, what may come. Mm. Mm, uncharted waters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is, mm. you know, such a lovely sort of analogy mm. for so many different things. Yes. Um, yeah. And the sea chart, I mean, for people who are unfamiliar with that, it's like a, a big piece of paper that sort of folds up into many sort of into, you know, a square that's been folded quite a few times. Mm. And that is often found on a um, chart table of a yacht. Yes. Um, and I was, we were talking earlier that my father was actually a hydrographer in the New Zealand Navy and he worked, um, it was probably 20 years ago he finished, but he was the one who was actually making those sea charts. That's amazing. I, I love know. That. <laughs> yeah. And when I first discovered your work, I was mm. like, oh. Yes. Oh my goodness, because you know, I love my dad dearly and mm. those charts are kind of a visual representation of his career and how passionate he was about navigation. Oh, and you know, it was mm. like we were saying, you know, in the old days before computers, it was all sort of done That was how it was done. Yeah, mm. manually and, and they travelled in a boat around the coastline. I'm in awe of that. Being yeah. able to do that. You, you know, you're at sea level in a boat looking to coastline and you're charting it, you're plotting the course. And I just think that's incredible. I'm, yeah, I think it's such a skill. I hate the thought that it could be dying out, actually, because now everything's done digitally. You know, you look on a, a screen. And maybe that's also partly why I just treasure the, the charts themselves. I think mm. they're beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And mm. you um, you have celebrated that sort of folding process, haven't I you? I have in a couple of ways now. I um, uh, One is I've just very recently released a C-chart on, and it's going to be printed onto canvas and then a loose canvas, not stretched on stretches or framed. And then I'm folding it up like a paper chart. So on a wall, it looks very like a paper chart, but it's actually canvas. So it's got the durability of canvas and it has my artworks on it. And the other way was um, folding the charts into boats. So I've gone for the classic paper boat, which, you know, some kids might have them as little paper hats or paper boat. Um, I wanted that sort of the simplicity for the, for the um, yeah, just a very simple boat, symbol, symbol of a boat. And I folded the paper charts because I think a paper boat at sea conveys fragility and vulnerability very clearly. And it's about the fragile sea and how important it is to us and that it's in need of care. Mm, yeah. And I paint and draw and print onto the boats and then or onto the charts rather, fold them up as a boat and put braces and things on them on a plinth in a glass case is how they're presented. Yeah, mm, And that mm. glass case has meaning too, I presume? It does, because it's referring to the, um, I don't know if you've been to, to the Auckland Maritime Museum and the other big um, museums and natural history museums too. Often these things are in the wooden boat um, models are in great big glass cases, you know, some are almost the size of a room and some are smaller ones that are put on a wall or a table. Um, so it's just kind of that preservation idea. I mean, mm, yeah. Yeah, mm. which is really beautiful. Mm. And that's kind of acknowledging the fragility of what's inside. Yes. And, yeah. and sort of larger fragility ideas of, yes, you know, the yeah. world and that kind of thing. And yeah. In, inside the, um, inside the hull of the, the paper boats, I call them my paper boats or diatom arcs. I'm, I'm printing diatoms, which are phytoplankton, and they're just really important in the carbon cycle. Um, they absorb um, carbon, you know, huge quantities of it, and release oxygen far more than the um, the rainforest, say, which we hear a lot more about. So it's it's a really important ecological point. Mm, mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, so the arc is representing the boat, the yeah. ark is ark is um, holding the treasure, like Noah's ark had the animals yeah. it was preserving. We're sort of trying to um, preserve 
the ocean, look after the ocean mm. and all those, the tiniest elements are just as important as the big ones. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that your, um, you know, your artwork has these messages that are so important at the moment. You know. It's important for me to convey that. And, and I, um, I want them to be visually beautiful. That's enough. If someone just wants to take them aesthetically, that's fine. Um, but there's certainly a lot more to it. And I love watching people. Yeah. I love, when people reason that resonates with people that they click with it, mm. it's really one of my favourite parts of yeah, being an artist. It's I just bet. such a lovely role, you yeah. know, to have. It's, yeah. it's an honour. You know what I mean? I, yeah, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And the um, you know, obviously, New Zealand is an, a small island mm-hmm. in the middle of the South Pacific, and um, most New Zealanders, particularly Auckland, Aucklanders, are so sort of connected to the sea, mm. and you obviously are yourself mm. so I mm. guess that sort of connection to the sea is coming through your work as well definitely yeah yeah I think we all have a relationship to the water here um we're so close to it and being we're islanders we're you know an island nation yeah mm. Mm. and so just going back to the charts you you take a chart mm-hmm. and then what's your process of, of so you're actually adding your own artwork to the chart um, and and drawing sort of in the seas, aren't you? And sometimes on top of the land. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got several different series, I guess, with with the with the sea charts, and and one would be the Hexandraconus one, so my own imaginary creatures onto the paper sea charts, um, and then there's the paper boats, and I'm also now doing what I call my human landforms, the archipelago series, which is um, painting motu on in amongst. The sea chart. So you might have the Haraki Gulf with Rangitoto and Waiheke and Motutapu, and there'll be a person's <laughs> landform with, I was going to say, body parts, but just sort of if you can imagine someone swimming and they're submerged and there's part of their head and part of their arm showing. Um, and this was a response um, really at the start of lockdown when I just had such a sense where, so, you know, that first one, if you remember, everything stopped and we're all like islands, isolated yet connected. And it just felt this thing of we're all isolated, but everything seemed interconnected. The whole world was being affected by this um, this virus. And, yeah, the, the, the processes of what we're doing to the planet, everything, it just seemed so clear to me that everything's interconnected and we're part of it. We're not separate to the world. We're not, um, I think humans can sometimes themselves, it's almost separate that we can take what we want, we can do what we want. But actually we're just a tiny little bullet, we're an animal in that whole ecosystem we're part of the map. We're part of the natural world. And so it was a very practical, you know, I'm, right, I'm going to put us in the map. Mm, I love that. <laughs> but I've, um, they're quite subtle, some of them. Like people have to do a bit of a double take and go, oh, you know, because mm. I just, I paint them very much to look like the islands and, and the topography. I only use the older sea charts for those ones where there's actual topography and relief pattern. Mm. Um, so I think they're more beautiful anyway. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're so gorgeous. And mm. it feels almost like, you know, that sort of saying of keeping your head just above water. Yes, yeah, it's sort that's of interesting. That yeah. analogy for me is yes. like oh, we're, just, we're just kind of hanging in there, mm. you know, floating just above above sea level. Mm. Yeah, I've actually just been involved with the whale tails Um up fun, uh, fundraising trail and it was fantastic to work on such a big scale because I, I never have on a big 3D form um, and I translated one of the, the archipelago works onto the tail so it's like a big sea chart painted onto it um, with yeah with human landforms alongside Waikiki and mm, all, so all the other beautiful. islands and um, I really enjoyed that yeah and um, it was Sponsored by Tamaki Regeneration, and that's been a fantastic process for me to be involved with them too. And um, yeah, just acknowledging that um, how much it relates with the Maori concepts of Papa Tuanuku and Te Ranga Waiwai, it's very strong. And um, Kaitiakatanga, of mm. you know, you're looking after our world, and that's mm. sort of really come out with us it's been lovely yeah yeah, beautiful and it was such a lovely whale tale so for for (laughs) listeners who aren't familiar with that fundraising project Mm. can you describe the whale tale trail Ah, right well it's a WWF fundraiser for um, the Haraki Gulf particularly um, Brooders Whales which I think is only something like about 150 left Um, and we're all the artists were given 80 artists were given a huge tale like it's taller than me 
I, I can't remember, sorry, the, in metres how big it is, but they're very big 3D fibreglass forms and we were told to paint them. <laughs> and um, yeah, design had to be chosen to be sponsored sort of by a particular group and then they're going to be um, auctioned off to raise funds. But they're dotted all over Auckland and I think it's, I hope it's been successful for them. Mm. Yeah. I'd actually love to own your whale tail. Oh. Put it in my garden. <laughs> oh, imagine, imagine that in your garden down here. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> your beautiful <laughs> Better garden. start saving. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a really cool um, fundraiser and it's a lovely way to get community connecting with art mm. in an accessible way, I think. Yes, I think. definitely. And they've been um, dotted around Auckland, haven't they? Yeah. Mm. So where's your one? Done on Tamaki River in Pamua. It was actually so well hidden around the side of the Pamuir Boating and Yacht Club that nobody could find it. Like literally, people couldn't find it. Oh, no. <laughs> so, that was great. Though. They've moved it around to the other side, so it's very obvious there, and it's right next to a jetty where people swim and jump off, and mm. there's a Wakaama Club and two rowing clubs, so it's busy sort of part of um, Pamuir in the Tamaki River there. Yeah. Mm. Oh, nice. It's good. Mm. Cool. So your process with the, um, I guess, you know, because you've got so many elements to your practice, if we discuss practice and process mm. of the d- different elements mm. would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your sea charts, um, how do you, what is your process for those? I guess it, um, it sort of depends on what I'm wanting the outcome to be, but I, sometimes it's the chart itself dictates what I'll do on it. Um, and some charts are suitable for certain works and not for others Um, and some of them I'm getting scared of working on now because they're actually getting quite hard to find especially the older ones with relief pattern excuse me so I'm getting some photographed and reprinted Um, yeah and some some of them I print onto to photographic silk screen print some of them I'm drawing onto and some of them I'm painting and I'm also doing some paintings on canvas, you know, stretch canvas of sea charts with my mortar in them. So they're big paintings. Mm. Mm. And you're painting the whole chart. Yes, I'm painting the whole chart. Yeah, and, and, it's interesting. And form. Mm. Yeah, so it's quite quite a lot of different elements yeah. within that. But maps and sea charts have got so much to them. And I, I've sort of, there are a number of artists, you know, around the world that I follow and just go off in all sorts of different ways about maps themselves and charting and the process of charting so mm. yeah I think there's a lot to come <laughs> yeah it'd be really interesting it feels like there's so much unfinished business for yes, you absolutely when it comes to sea charts <laughs> mm. and um, okay so is there anything else you'd like to say about the your paper boats and the sea charts or should we no, move on I think we can move on yeah okay mm-hmm. so let's go now to your paintings mm-hmm. so you've over your career you've done you know different series of paintings mm-hmm. which still as we said feel connected mm. but are different in their, in their themes so um, can you talk about how you work through different painting series I actually get a picture in my head that comes fully formed it's sort of I love that that side of creativity we just get that spark and to me it's actually like a visual image and then I need to realize it so then there's the process part of um, making it a physical object, doing the actual painting. Um, and I feel like I'm always learning with that too, which is lovely. Um, and just thinking uh, again, that that period of a few years ago where there seemed to be so much doom and gloom about the environment, I needed calm and I needed to make sense of it. So the big saw paintings, which were really a lot of sky with a small bird soaring, like calmly, <laughs> um, those arise, arose out of that period and I'm currently working on a series called my dwellings paintings uh, which is small paintings about 30 by 30 30 by 30 centimeter canvases uh, of hermit crabs and um, they're all about dwellings shelter sanctuary homes the diversity of homes we live in or that sense of home that we carry with us Um, so the little hermit crab like I you know, there's that girl again who sat watching rock pools <laughs> and loved the sea and enemies and the little shrimps that come out and the could watch those busy little hermit crabs in the in the rock pool. Um and they have that sense of sanctuary that they carry with them always. And I think we do too. We have a sense of home, a safe place that we carry with us. That's not always home for everyone, or not a physical house. And of course some New Zealanders call the car home. There there are so many different things I want to represent here and but mostly it's celebratory, it's fun. I wanted it to be a bit in humour 
representing Kiwis in our homes and the diversity of it. I'm, I'm having so much fun. I'm actually loving this series. So. Mm, and I bet you feel like you've got so much you I know, do. to yeah. use. Yes, I yeah, do. I can feel mm. it would be super inspiring. Mm. Yeah. And um, I'm sort of keeping the colour on the background quite strong, which is unusual for me. I am yeah keep fairly quiet colours normally. And I'm doing quite uh, strong, bold colours. Sometimes they're represented of the sea or just colours I like or the rock, uh, the hermit crabs and the rock pools, but they make a really nice strong contrast for the, the hermit crab and its house. So some of the houses might be a contemporary batch, an old school batch. It might be a tent. It might be a villa, a bungalow, a contemporary house. It might be a faranui. It could be you know, anything with that place. Oh, and I've also done some with gardens, so a plant, because um, I know for me quite often the garden is sanctuary, you know, where you just quietly want to go to that sense of shelter, mm. Mm. dwellings. Mm. Yeah, so beautiful. And it's very New Zealand, obviously. It is, yeah. Mm. Yeah, which is nice too. And um, and that sort of the scale is so interesting and the use of space, as you said earlier, you know, that mm. quite expansive space around it and then really quite a small it is, and I hadn't even thought of it. It's just what, what I sort of came out. Mm. Um, yeah, it was interesting that, yes, as I say, somebody analysing them sort of brought that up, and I thought, oh, yes, yeah, there is that thread again. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also doing a little water drop alongside each one just to signify that they're water dwellers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, mm. I wondered about that water yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah, I just mm. I thought that maybe was bringing it back to the sea again, but um, it is sort of. I guess it, it is. The, you know, yeah. the, the rock pool for them. So just that little bit of water and yeah. the hermit crab. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, do you actually have a crab underneath the house, or just the house? Oh no, no there's definitely a hermit crab. Yeah, you can see the full hermit crab with this house, and there's just an array of different houses on on them all. Mm, so good. Yeah. And little- I was actually very lucky just last week. I was given the most magnificent hermit crab specimen from um, a, a guy I know who collects shells, a very good amateur shell collector, and his friendly cray fisherman up north. And it's the most it's huge, huge specimen. Like in my hand, it's it's, it's not like a little rock pool um, hermit crab, but it's from Northland, you know, up north. Mm. Oh, New Zealand, wow. just fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gorgeous. And it reminds me a little bit of um, New Zealand artist Barry Ross Smith. Oh, I, I love work? his work. Oh, he's yeah. just gorgeous And he, he builds kind of houses and gardens on, on Islands. precarious yes, places. Yes, he does. Yeah. Which, yeah, has mm. a similarity in a way with the mm. idea. Yeah, I yeah. suppose there is, yeah. yeah. Um, and so another thing that you have been doing in the past, which was a little bit further, you know, a wee while ago, is a diorama. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell us about that? That's really interesting. A diorama of extinct New Zealand birds, I think it was called. And it was done in corrugated cardboard, which I printed and painted onto, which was sort of to take back to sort of like early dioramas that you might do in a creative art class or in a school project, that sort of thing. Um, and it featured the kereru and the fantail um, from the New Zealand banknotes. And it was actually all about um, Joseph Banks and collecting uh, bird skins as specimens, which in that era was considered preservation and conservation because they were preserved <laughs> for posterity. But there was the irony that you were actually killing the birds as you did it. Mm. Um, and so it was actually all about biodiversity um, decline and conservation. Mm. Yeah. Great. And it was um, – I think a Merit Award winner at the New Zealand Painting and Printmaking Awards that year, which was lovely. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. <laughs> and was it in an actual kind of case or like a box? It was in a, a frame, but quite a deep frame. I actually wanted to put it in a really deep frame, but to put it in that awards, there was a six centimetre limit depth. Ah. So that's sort of six centimetre deep frame, but yeah. I could actually picture it in a really something, almost like a box, mm. really. Yeah, yeah, I can picture mm. that too. And maybe mm. that's something that you come back to one day. Yes, yeah, I'd love to. Without mm. the restrictions of competition. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then that sort of takes us on to the idea of the insects and your sort of collections of mm. insects. And also, you know, you're often drawing birds or um, painting birds. And so you're sort of connection not just with the sea but with mm. with wildlife and New Zealand yes. wildlife often yeah. isn't it so um, mm. how, do, how does that work I think it's just having grown up um, loving nature loving animals we had so many different pets we had a big garden um, it's always I, I garden now my garden's really important to me um, 
and we're surrounded by beautiful bird life. And, you know, I think it's just responding to what's around me, really. Mm. It's important. It's very important to me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And how, how do those – so your insect, insect collection, mm. Mm. Um, which was featured – Butterflies and, yes. and that kind of thing. How mm. did how did you actually create that? What were you doing? Was it painting, printmaking? Um, printmaking initially. I think I was probably spending quite a lot of time up at the museum with the boys, and I loved the natural history collections. Um, and it was also an era where Wunderkammer, you know, sort of that um, the natural history collections and private natural history collections was um, sort of quite prominent. And so I was looking at memory really with that series. Um, and just as we sort of catch a, a butterfly and preserve it in a museum box collection, so do we sort of archive our experiences and memories. This was kind of the lying, yeah, sort of the underlying um, theme with all my insect collections. And so collaged into the insect, I had heritage brands or associations. Um, so again, it was like a layer of memory. And the, the initial works were all on weatherboards, which was a play on the butterfly on a weatherboard house idea. Um, so I printed and then hand painted, screen printed and then hand painted the butterflies and insect collections onto weatherboards and then framed them as if they were a chunk of a house. So it was kind of like preserving like a little chunk of our history mm. and my personal history um, in, the, in the notes. And things like the cicada has um, a radio tuner for its abdomen which is when we were kids, we used to put cicadas, cut them in our hands, you know, quite gently as well, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> not squished, um, and pretend they were radios sort of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Um, so, yeah, just all those things came through. Mm. Mm. And so was it? were most of those works telling stories of, you know, your own personal stories, or was it going further than that? Both. It was both. Yes, it was. I can't, I can't remember my puttery moth. The, the notes were about um, because the 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 aspect that I had collaged into the puttery moth was what is peas, but quite beautifully sort of um, layers of peas from the label, mm. the old label, original sort of labels. Um, it was a memory of like my we used to go around to my grandma's on Friday night for Friday night tea. <laughs> And um, walking into the kitchen, and I had these memories of you know her on the stove, and there'd be steam coming off the pots, you know, that, you know that sort of thing. Mm. Lovely childhood memories, and so I can remember. Yes, the Peru moth is something to do with that that sort of memory again. So it's going back into a memory box into the archive. Mm. Yeah, I love mm. that. So it's kind of connecting your, you know, concern for the planet, mm. as well as you know your own sort of personal mm. memories, which seems to fit so beautifully. Together. Somehow it does, and I, I think I didn't do it consciously at the time, but I see now that it um, that's probably why people have related to it because it is personal. It's, it's, yeah. Hmm. And are the notes in the in the works enough for people to actually be able to read and sort of connect to? Do you think, or is it a bit more subtle than that? No, I think they can. I only did the um, the notes on the works on board, so not on the pla- the paper works. Um, on the paperwork, it was more like a, a, a collector's sort of note. Um, sorry, no, more like a date and time and Latin name kind of thing. That right. sort of um, yeah. specimen um, information, whereas the other works were bigger and I just had the scope to do this little bit of writing. Mm. And I think maybe that was the other side of me coming through too because, in fact, my early paintings often had writing in them because initially when I was a child I probably thought I was going to be a writer more than a a visual artist, so it was, mm. was quite nice to incorporate that. Yeah, and that's your mm. first university mm. yeah, degree. Yeah, that's right. It? Yeah, so that's you know linking beautifully. It's obviously mm. in there as well. Mm. Yeah, it's and funny it, sitting here talking about it. How these things I can see mm. the links, whereas at the time you're just creating them, you're just doing them. It just comes through. Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> interesting, isn't it? And so yeah. many guests have said that. You know, when you're actually mm. given this opportunity to speak for mm. so long about your your life or your journey. Mm. It actually a lot of stuff can come up for yourself. I mean, it's absolutely, like, oh my God. it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting mm. how you had that idea of the insects, uh, insect collection kind of concept, and then you, you know, take it in different ways in mm. some ways, which is quite inspiring. I think that you you have your idea, and then you know, using different uh, making techniques and different mm. sort of approaches, you kind of create almost series within a series. Mm. I do. As I say, it often comes with actually like a a visual image in my head. 
and then I sort of tease out the idea. So it's almost intuitively first, and then I sort of tease out the idea, and a whole thematic sort of body of work comes from that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's great. And so with the with the insect, with the insect collection, you, you mm. did the weatherboard then on paper. Were, yes. they, were they print prints on paper? Yes, I hand screen printed and then hand painted them. Yeah. So it was a lot of work in each piece. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> and mm. then did that develop further from there? Um, it was going to. I really wanted to do a series of furniture um, with like insect collections. So I did one table for that exhibition I had at the Lane Gallery. I call I call the collector's table. I've still got it at home, and we really enjoy it. Um, but I just didn't have the opportunity to sort of develop that. Um, and sometimes with the sea charts, I can I sort of in my head I'm going off on different tangents with that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. I can see you definitely <laughs> yeah, developing all sorts of areas mm. within those themes and mm. ideas. Early on I did do, and I really enjoyed doing some design collaborations. Um, one with um, Flutter Chairs for a, a, chair, desi- a chair design. Um, I did a, a wine label for Artarangi, loved that, and worked with Claire Moore at Essence for doing various things and a rug design. And yeah, I do enjoy that. It's sort of taking the art and applying it a bit more with a design product. And that's really, it's a fun process. Mm. Mm. And do you mind working to a brief or? Um, that's interesting because I have done a lot of commissions and I'm always grateful for them. Um, but I do find it harder. I definitely find it harder. Um, I do like the freedom of not having to do that. Mm, it can be tricky, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, and so for those design collaborations, did you mm. – you're obviously sort of helping to promote a product, but sort of coming in from an artistic point of view. Mm. How how was that – how did that process actually work? Usually someone just contacted me with an um, – you know, sort of wanted – said, you know, do you want to work together on something? And then that part's fun because, you know, you just sit with them and nut out ideas and throw ideas forward and – I always love that stage of any artwork, whether I'm doing it all in collaboration, that just sort of just that zinging ideas. So I think it's always the most exciting part. Mm. Um, and then there comes obviously the practical part of, okay, well, if we're going to do this, how do we realise it? What are the steps? And working through them. Mm. Mm. And then what, what's the final product? Well, there have been chair covers. Do you know the butterfly chairs? Yeah. Still 1950s, were they mm-hmm. originally? Um a company who makes those, and so I did some different, two different sets of chair cover designs, and that, those were really popular for a while and really good. And what were they? What part well, of your practice was, uh, were they? There was a dragon, a dragonfly, um, and then on an ottoman sort of dragonfly combination into a pattern, and then another time there was a feather, um, sort of line of feathers, um, yeah, which was quite lovely because it was that idea of sort of sinking into a chair with it sort of wrapping around you almost like a cloak mm. or sort of a softness of it mm. um, yeah and I think with the rug that was quite a process of going into resources um, or sort of inspirations and I also went with feathers in the end with that um, so yeah mm. sounds beautiful mm. and that's just a nice kind of thing to go alongside your practice I guess and that is a practical point um, that it can be hard to make a living out of fine art purely. And it can be really helpful to have different streams of income. So to have a design product can become like passive income coming in. Um, you know, it's a nice, interesting process to work with others rather than always on your own. Mm. Um, but it's also a practical one that you can have different, build different string, streams of income into your practice. Yeah. Mm. And it's so nice that you were approached by these companies. Yes, yes it was. Yeah. yeah. So you've obviously got to get your art practice out there so people are discovering you. Well, that's true. And um, I think I was criticised early on that I sort of was in some magazines and media and a few people sort of knocked me for that. But I was aware that I wasn't coming out of a tertiary art institution with all the networks that you get with that. Yeah. And it was like if someone approached me, I would say yes <laughs> mm. because it was simply there had to be an awareness of my work. You know, um, so yeah. it was just a necessary thing I had to do at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's sharing and celebrating what you're doing. Which it I is, think absolutely. Is positive. And I love seeing it from of other people's work. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and why do you think you were getting criticism? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go into that. I don't, I don't know. But um, just sort of had to go, well, I needed to do that at the time and it's mm. fine. Mm. And I think they'll probably jump at it. 
two actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and, it's fine. Yeah, and yeah. and sometimes mm. you've just really got to go with what works for you if it mm. feels right at the time. Mm. You know, it's worth doing. Yes, I think mm. for sure. Now. There's a few other things we need to talk about in your practice. That's the Spode tattoo. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about what Spode is and um, and how those artworks came up out of that? Spode is um, fine china, like say Royal Dalton would be or various other sort of houses of china. Um, it's a very old one. It's a lovely blue and white china. I mean, there are different types of blue and white china. There's the Delft, there's the Willow Pattern and there's Spode. Um and I've always loved China and those lovely feminine things that are in the kitchen that you might get passed down. And it can be a funny old colander. It doesn't have to be anything particularly special, but it has that lovely association with family, with yeah. previous generations. Um, and I've been given some lovely China. And um, so it makes me think of my ancestors, makes me think of my parents and my grandparents. And, and, and I love that. Um, so they're treasures for me. And my father was very ill and then passed away. And the garden was a very big thing for him. And um, so during this process, again, I, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but I see now, I was focusing on the things that we pass on from generations, whether we're aware of it or not. So I was looking at a physical object, the china, and then conveying it as a tattoo into beautiful native flora that were specimens from his garden Mm. Um, and so it's these things that because we don't just get passed on China we might get passed on an experience a memory an attitude a way of looking at the world all those things that are really lovely that we're not even aware we're being given by loving parents say yeah Um, and so again again it's I guess it's that image within an image multi-layered meaning and multi-layers within the work so you have um, a photograph um or print of a piece of uh, a, a kofi flower, a flax flower, um, manuka, various other things, mm, and, you take and then that I would, I, yes, I do, yeah, and then I would actually paint onto that the patterns from the china, and I thought they looked, I thought it was a lovely, um, yeah, combination, mm, and beautiful. it does. I mean, did you feel like did it remind you of a tattoo or the tattoo process? It was that kind of that thing of it's under your skin. Um, you know, mm. these things get under your skin whether you're aware of it or not. You know, how much do you get, have from your family? And not there can be negative things as well as positive things for sure. But um, for me, I was focusing on the positive, um, those things that, yeah, just pass down from generation to generation. Mm. Yeah, And calling it Spo Tattoo mm. is really interesting. I mean, it took me, I had to do a bit of research yeah. to figure out what you meant by that. Mm. But also, I mean, it does have that that feeling of, of the ink, you yeah. know, being transferred to the the skin or the mm. the plant or whatever it is and that idea of the tattoo on a delicate yes. object like yeah. a flower yeah it's quite beautiful and then it also has those sort of connotations of everlasting and mm. um you know a lifetime of of that imprint kind of idea definitely yeah yeah <laughs> i got it in the yes, end yes yeah. <laughs> but yeah they're really mm. beautiful and just oh, super interesting you. i feel like mm. each part of each part of your practice has got so much more to unpack and i can see you kind of developing all of those mm. aspects mm. you know you need a, about five lives i think to get, I think to I get do, through yeah. it <laughs> yeah which yeah. is great isn't it mm. and then there's the um, augmented reality which was something i'd never heard of either mm-hmm. so can you tell us about that sure well i met augmented reality because mike my partner his practice uh, his business is with augmented reality but for um utilities and business applications so i first sort of learned about it really through him and we've done some collaborations which has been great um, augmented reality means literally that augmenting reality so you're adding to reality whereas virtual reality is a technology where you put on your headset and you go onto a virtual world it's a completely imaginary world uh, it's a different world whereas augmented reality you're staying in this reality so right now we have this room here and if we had an augmented reality app it would be doing something here you know next to us Mandy in the, in the air or on the table um, so it adds to right mm. Yeah, interesting. And um, I could see, I love the the opportunities, you know, the possibilities, that sort of that combination of art, design, science, technology. I think it's such an exciting field and it's only going to just keep growing. 
Um, I'm not a really techy person. I, I sort of know certain things very well, and if I'm interested in them, I'll explore that. Um, and with AR, I've developed two apps with Orgview and, and Mike, um, uh, Philippa Bentley Monarch and Philippa Bentley Dollfish. I've said it the way because that's the actual name of the apps, and you can just look them up on on any of the like Google Play Store or um, uh, what's the Apple one? I can't think at the moment. Apple App Store. App Store, yep. yeah. Um, and um, they're free on both iOS and Android, and you just download them, and then you'll need a copy of the image. So say if you download Philippa Bentley Monarch, um, you can just pull up an image of the monarch. You can just do that on your screen. That's fine. Or you can always buy an artwork of me. That's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you open the app and point your camera at the image and that tri- the image triggers the app to do something. And there's sort of like an animation or the th- butterfly is a 3D, uh, 3D model animated. So it flies around the room in front of you. Um, my dollfish is an animation of, I did 16 drawings, so a little bit like stop motion, sort of like uh, animating 16 drawings into a, like a little gif, and then mm. that is that plays. Wow. Um, and and then I'm also doing, with a series of paintings, uh, my connect paintings of little snorkelers and swimmers, and that uses an app to create a video layer, which animates over the image so you have a painting which I've kept yeah fairly simple here I go you got this interesting <laughs> and the, small <laughs> yeah small detailed mm. focus with um with fairly um open negative space around it a background um and then that will trigger a video so over that becomes an animated scene of you know the waves and fish so the snorkel suddenly swimming around fish and things and that was to do with connecting with nature so wow. literally the connect works. You know, the snorkelers are connecting very literally, dive, you know, you immerse yourself mm. in nature sort mm. of idea. Mm. Wow. It's been fun. I really enjoy it. And I like watching the response of others that, oh, oh wow. Mm, <laughs> I like that, that you yeah. know, people can interact with the work like that. And the element of mm. surprise, I mm. guess. So how do mm. you actually present that? Um, you know, it, can you actually show the works in a gallery and, and people have the app on the phone? And connect like that, or how does that work? Uh, I had one exhibition um, a couple of years ago with the Connect paintings as, as a big part of it, and yes, I made sure that we and and the uh, the dealers running the gallery had it on tablets and and phones, so we could show people, and so that they knew that if they bought the work, then they you know get the app as well, sort of thing, and so mm. they can enjoy it at home. Yeah, and of course, the work has to sit independently, like it has to be. You know, in itself, it has to be an artwork sort of thing. So it's an added layer. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. it's, it's an added layer that you can enjoy when you want to kind of Yes, thing. exactly. But yeah. then you've got the painting mm. that's on the wall. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> and that's that's just such a unique thing. Yeah, it's a bit different, but out there. Yeah. Uh, and again, there's so much scope. I mean, yeah. It's like, ah, oh. mm. <laughs> too many things. I am interested in lots of things. It's, yeah. Yeah, which Need is great. Need a few more hours. Busy sort of. Yeah, with the household and family and things, you know, as we were talking about earlier. So there's a lot to juggle in the day. But, yes, there's certainly lots of things I want to continue with my art practice. And, uh, yeah, but I feel mm. like, you know, you, you've you obviously got a very busy mind and lots of ideas. That's not a problem for you, thinking of ideas. No, that's not the problem. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. That's a good problem to have, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's incredible. And it's ironic, really, because I love quiet, quiet time and space too. So, <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, it's hard to mm. sometimes juggle and balance, you know, the things that we're passionate about. Mm. Yeah, mm, it can is. be. So, um, would you say that's your your practice overall? Yes. Oh, yes, I feel it. Yes, yeah. discussed a lot. Thank you. Oh, so, it's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's just so inspiring. I mean, I think people listening will just be yeah super inspired and so um, you can obviously see your work on your website which I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and um, we'll put the links to the augmented reality mm-hmm. apps um, on the blog as well which will be interesting yeah thanks Mandy mm. okay so just thinking um, of your art career and practice on a sort of more commercial level how do you find putting yourself out there and marketing your work I think because when I started, I knew that I had to make it work. It wasn't like I could paint a painting every now, every now and then when I enjoyed it. I just went, right, I have to do this. So I did. Um, and I've always become 
it's become harder as I've gone on. It's funny. Um, but I also remember, like doing this today, I love listening to the other podcasts and I love getting together with my artist friends and talking and hearing about what they're doing. So I sort of figure, yeah, you just have to put yourself out there. It's part of the story. And I love hearing the story of other artists. So that's fair enough. Mm, <laughs> yeah. it. It, I mean, it can be uncomfortable initially. It is, yeah. When mm. you're doing it yourself. Mm. But um, hopefully it's worth it. I'm sure it will be for the people listening, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. And um, it can be hard, you know, putting a face to the to the work. Mm. Do you actually um, put yourself out there as a person or is it more about your artwork? I definitely prefer it to be about the artwork. I think visual artists quite often, we're like that. You know, the artwork stands for itself and then you kind of go, you know, happy with that. And then you put it out in the world. But I, at that stage, I definitely prefer to stand back. Mm. Um, so I'm happy to talk about my work. But it's, yeah, it's harder putting me out there mm. with it. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange one. And mm. then it you, is a strange one. You yeah. do exhibitions and like art mm. in the park, which is, um, you know, you are very involved with that one, which is quite nice when you're actually there with your work talking to people. That was a big shock to the system. I haven't done a big art fair like that ever before. And I did art in the park last year. And, um, it was very full on because you're standing there right next to your artwork and there were thousands of people coming through. But something I really loved is watching people respond to my work because I don't get that. I, I give it to galleries and then that process is all removed from me. And for that weekend I stood and I watched people interacting with it and that gave me so much feedback. Mm. You know, it was amazing. It was yeah. actually very helpful. Yeah. And quite affirming too. Yeah. Especially with the archipelago works on the um, sea charts because the people would sort of glance over them and they'd do a double take and go, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just what I wanted, but I, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. So it was helpful. It. Yeah. And you sort of were hoping that was mm. the, the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be great. Mm. And also, I mean, it must be interesting when people aren't sure that you're the artist sometimes in that kind of environment. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to yeah. be a bit careful, I imagine, of saying the wrong thing to the wrong person. True. But <laughs> it's quite neat. And then also that lovely um, camaraderie with the oh, other artists. That was, yeah, that's really lovely. Sounds amazing. It, it was really special. And I, I do find that a lovely part of being an artist is that it's not a competitive thing. It's very collegial. Like I love getting together with other artists and having a natter and sharing anything helpful. And it's just, it's lovely. Mm. We spend so much time squirreled away in our studios that it's very cool when we can get yeah. together like that. Yeah, it really mm. is, isn't it? Mm. And just sort of connecting on that creative level, but mm. really understanding what you're going That's through. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, you're obviously selling through a number of galleries mm -hmm. through your work, your work through, which galleries are you involved with now? At the moment I'm with um, Black Door Gallery in Parnell, Tuarua Gallery in St Heliers and Flagstaff Gallery in Devonport. Right. And I have been with sort of various other galleries across the country and it sort of shifts and changes. Different bodies of work I'm doing suit different places, I think. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's great and that's obviously a very positive connection. Mm. Do you also sell through your website? Not really. I, I don't have like a page where I sell prints and that sort of thing. Sometimes commissions do come through me, um, to me through that, and that's fine, so long as they've come sort of to me, not via something else. Um, mm. So, yep, no, I'm open to that as well. Mm. Mm. And you do prints of your work? I do, yeah. yeah. Mm. So do you do prints of everything you make? No, no, I very seldom do reproduction prints of what I do. Some of them I, I do, um, but mostly, generally I, I'm doing screen prints um but there are several collections that i do do say maybe one or two images there'll be um a you know archival print mm. yeah yeah mm. interesting and um you know you've got such a varied practice as i've said what is there an artist or a number of artists out there who actually really inspire you Oh, so many. I wondered if you'd ask me something like this. And honestly, there's not one. There's just like, I, I couldn't stop at one. There are so many. Um, I've got so many friends. I'm inspired by what they do. You know, really. Um, I'm looking at the Tanya Blong's paintings on the walls. I adore her work. Yeah. Um, and actually, I did think of some artists who um, are working with maps and charts and that sort of thing. Um, Ed Fairburn in New Zealand, the painters Roger Mortimer, Mark Waller, who've just sort of taken the concept of sea charts and made it their own. Um, Rain Wu, 
um, Uli Schultz, Ekaterina, uh, is it Panikanova? Um, so artists looking at maps, sea charts, collage, archive sort of work. I, I guess that's because I'm drawn to that myself. And we're all doing it so differently, but I really do like following their practices at the same time. So mm, yeah. yeah. And then there are a whole lot of eco- you know, ecological, um, ecology art from great big sp- sculptural works outdoors to very fine sort of, uh, yeah, quite in-your-face environmental work, some of it. Mm. And you mentioned Barry Ross Smith, or his work's just exquisite. I mean, yeah. So I'm sorry, but there are so many. I can't pick one. Yeah, well, no, I think we all all have such a big list of artists who inspire. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And um, what kind of artwork have you got at home apart from your own? Uh-huh. Well, I do swap with friends. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about a contract. Yeah, we have. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Um, our artwork at home is pretty eclectic, definitely, um, from my grandma's paintings um, to quite a range. Some prints, some originals, some I've swapped with friends. I think that's really nice. I'm an artist. I can't afford to buy a whole lot of works. I shouldn't admit that, but it's true. So we swap them. It's like mm, <laughs> it's a nice thing lovely. to do. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. And then you know where that work comes from it's mm, great yeah yeah yeah. I love having mm. work of people you know yeah I do too it's mm. just so sort of I don't know it seems to have even more meaning more story to it yeah. I agree yeah and you know it's nice to kind of collect work from people you know in your life that then can pass down through generations true to your yeah. own children and their children mm. um Work that not only do you have a connection with visually, but you know, mm. you've got that connection on another level, which is, is nice. It's kind of capturing a little story from my life. Absolutely. That might continue. I love these ones you've done with the threads. I think they're gorgeous. Thank and you. Um, yes, I, I think it's also nice because I was just thinking, I think it's nice having different media, you know, not all just paintings or, you know, have some sculptural works, have different sorts of media. Um, and my aunt, Auntie Deidre, she was very big with embroidery. And when, as soon as I saw those, that was a link for me. Sort mm, of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. That's beautiful. Mm. And they've, mm. they've kind of come out of my grandmother's work. And oh. she, she did sort of cross-stitch abstract yes. kind of 70s looking oh, wow, work, cool. which was probably the initial inspiration for that. Oh. Yeah, so mm. that's all those beautiful links. Yeah. You know, mm. and that's why artwork you know the work that you produce as an artist just means so much you it know does, it's so much yeah. more than people some people would realize you know it, absolutely it's so personal yeah and that's why it is often quite hard putting it out there because mm. you're mm. you're giving something of yourself mm. and you can get attached to it you know yeah mm. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes. I'm. I'm. I've got the show coming up, and I'm like, oh, I don't actually want to sell any of these. No. It's quite strange. Yeah. No, I can understand that. Mm. Just have to mm. make some more, won't I? Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, speaking of leaving things behind, what mm. is the legacy that you'd like to leave with your artwork? Oh gosh. What I'd really love is that it's something that's beautiful, but also meaningful. So I think basically to make a positive contribution in the world, I think it's always the aim to leave something that's positive, um, yeah, that people can relate to visually and on an emotional level, but that gives a positive message in the world, hopefully. Mm. Mm. Nice. And with all these ideas of yours, Philippa, <laughs> what do you think is in the future for you? Oh, heck. <laughs> I'm hoping more of the same, to be honest. I Yeah, I'm loving doing what I'm doing and space I'm in sort of personally um, and with family and things. So just hopefully, yeah, more of the same. I've got, yeah, multiple ideas already, you know, that um, work at what I'm working on now. And, and then I sort of can't help but go, oh, yeah, and then that could be. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So um, hopefully more of the same, but just keep on growing with it Mm. Mm. I'm sure you will too Mm. well it's been lovely to meet you finally Philippa (laughs) and I feel like you know I need to start up an artist New Zealand artist club so we can all just keep catching up oh that'd be lovely (laughs) it's like I make new friends every time I do a podcast yeah I've loved it thank you Mandy oh thank you so much